All right, I want to do something here. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I want my family to be blessed? Okay, raise your hand. And, and uh, a few of you that aren't raising your hand, you have a really weird sense of, you, you, do you want your family to be cursed? I mean, what, what are you saying here? I would say that most of us would say, yes, I'd raise my hand and say, I would love for God to, to bless my family. That would be something we would all want, right? And, and so then we, we think about our relationships around us. We think about our family. And I want you to think about your relationships. Think about your friends. Think about extended family and whatever it is. And if we were to ask you to describe those relationships, would you say that your family is blessed? Would you say that your relationships are blessed? Sometimes. I think, though, the reality of it, if we were to be honest, sometimes relationships can be a struggle. Sometimes they can be just a burden. They can be difficult. Anybody have a little dysfunction in their family? You don't have to raise your hand. It'd be really awkward if you raise your hand and your family's right next to you, right? But this is, this is where we are when we're talking about family. More often, instead of saying that we're blessed, we're saying, man, there's just a struggle. Because marriage, marriage sometimes can be hard. I mean, it's just the honest truth of it. Marriage can be hard. Parenting, man, that's, that's, that's a battle. I mean, like discipline and like ongoing being there and being that presence. Man, it's, it, it's overwhelming sometimes. Sometimes we think, man, how do, I, how do I keep my kids on the right path when I'm struggling myself? I mean, this is like a, an uphill battle that we face. And our, our culture, there's more blended families in our culture. And those, you know, those are blessed and we're, we're, we're excited for those. But blended families also create unique challenges for those blended families to, to work through. Then I think about the single parents. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how a single parent can be, can play both roles of mom and dad and, and try to live on one income. I mean, how would you not be just overwhelmed with trying to do all of that on your own? Then I think about the busyness of our culture. I mean, how many times do we feel like we just can't keep up because everything is so go, 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 go. And this is our lifestyle and how we live. Relationships are hard. You start looking at all these dynamics that we deal with and relationships are difficult. And and man, I'm the first one to say, man, I'm there. Like, I I get that. Like, I, I can think just back a few weeks ago. My family can probably think back a few weeks ago where I had a long day at work and I had an overwhelming day at work and I come home and my wife's like, hey, I need this and this and this and this and I need you. And, and, and my kids are like, hey, dad. And I'm like, no, I just, no. And I remember blowing up at them and I'm, I'm thinking, I hope I didn't butt dial anybody because I'd be really embarrassed if they heard what I just, how I responded to my family when they came and said, hey, I need you. I need you to, to step into this. Relationships can just be messy at times, whether they're family relationships, whether they're work relationships, whether even relationships within the church, they can be messy. And I often say, I have to say, you know, relationships would be a lot better if everybody was just like me. Like if everybody was just like, it'd be great, right? I mean, everybody would love the Seahawks. Everybody would be a free spirit. There'd be no organization, no planning. It'd be like, let's just go for it, you know? Like, I think that would be awesome. And some of you are like, no, that sounds like, like, like horrible. That sounds terrible, you know? And, and, and that's, just, that's just the way we are. People are different, and that's good, and that's necessary. I'm thankful for the people around us who are more organized, who are more detail-oriented, and force me to do some of the things I don't like to do. 
We need people that like that. We need people who are organized. We need people who are 49ers fans, because if not, who would the Seahawks beat up on, right? I mean, that's part of a Seahawk fan. (laughs) Because people are different, relationships can be hard. The problem isn't that we're different. The problem is every one of us are sinners. I mean, that's the real problem. Every one of us comes into the relationship and we've got our own agenda. We've got, we've got our own expectations. We bring this baggage into our relationships. And what it does is it creates this mess within our relationships. And so we say relationships can be messy. And sometimes those relationships get so bad that we just want to quit. We just want to quit. We quit on marriage. We quit on, on family. Sometimes relationships in the church get so messy that people quit on the church. So I want to introduce a sermon series today called Bless This Mess. This really is about our relationships, about the mess of our relationships, about how we're trying to figure these things out. And we want God to bless our relationships. We want God to bless the mess that we live in, the mess that we create, the mess that we live in. And so this sermon series, Bless This Mess, is going to focus on our relationships. It's going to focus primarily on, on marriage and on kids and on, um, on uh, conflict. But I want you to understand that these principles we're going to discuss, they transfer to just about any of our important relationships. They, they, they translate to family relationships, to sibling relationships, to extended family, to our relationships with our friends, to our, our business relationships and partnerships within there. These principles will apply to all of the relationships that we are in. The truth of God's word applies to every one of these areas. So our, my, my desire is that we would come and say, God, God, we want you to bless our mess. Listen, if you're a young person in here today, a teenager, a, a single person, you don't have any family, that sort of thing. Listen, there's no better time for you to learn these principles than now to prepare yourself to when you were in that spot. So today, week one of this series, it's a four-week series, we're going to focus on the difficulty we have in relationships. Uh, next week, week two, we're going, to, we're going to talk about marriage and ask God to bless the mess of marriage. Uh, on April 17th, we're going to ask God uh, to look at our family and, and our children and ask God to bless the mess of, of parenting. And week four, uh, April 24th, we're going to ask God to bless our conflict and to, to help us learn how to deal with conflict. And I'll be honest, you say, well, well, you know, why are you preaching this sermon series? I'm preaching it because I need this. I need this series. Like I need like this kind of God speaking to me on these areas. And so I'm just letting you guys listen to, to me preaching to myself because this is really, I think, something that I need. And I'm sure all of us would benefit from God speaking to us in these ways. So uh, foundational idea. Here's, here's kind of the, the big idea that's going to go through this entire series. And as we start talking about all these different relationships, here's the one key idea. I want you to write this down. I want you to, to remember this, okay? Your relationships will be blessed if you focus on your responsibilities instead of your rights, okay? Your relationships will be blessed if you focus on your responsibilities instead of your rights, Everything we're going to talk about is going to be centered on this one idea. Scripturally, you can point to this from any number of of passages, but specifically I got this from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul wrote in Philippians, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, what happens is, when, is, is we have this pride that rises up in our flesh. We have this pride, and so when we look at our relationships, we say, well, I have my rights. I have my rights, and, and I'm, I'm number one. And so when we're looking at our relationships, we think, well, I'm number one, and you're supposed to serve me and meet my needs. We have this idea that, that, that you exist to satisfy my needs. And so we look at our relationships and we anticipate those around us to be there to, to fulfill our needs. But listen, humility says something different. Humility, following Jesus' example, it says, I'll do what I'm supposed to do. I'll love people the way that God loved them. Not because they've loved me in return. Not because they have fulfilled my rights but because God has loved me in such a way that he loved me before I loved him. And so we have a responsibility to, we have a responsibility to focus on our responsibility before God, even if the other person doesn't focus on their responsibility. See, it's about our responsibility before God, not our rights being met in those relationships. And I believe, I believe that, that focusing on this principle, about focusing on our responsibilities instead of our rights, Focusing on our responsibilities before God instead of having our rights met. I believe if we put this principle to practice, man, marriages can be completely changed. I believe families can be completely changed. I believe that there is going to be foundations that are built for young people in here today of what their relationships can look like in the future. So today, today we're going to deal with, with difficulty within relationships. And so if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Restoration Church, we're Bible people. Uh, I don't, I'm not that interesting. I don't have that much uh, great things to say. So we open up God's Word, and we want God's Word to, to teach us. So if you have a Bible, uh, please turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. If you need a Bible, there's an usher in the back, and uh, uh, he gets paid on commission. So the more Bibles we give out, that's a good thing. A uh, little background as you're turning to Nehemiah chapter 4. Uh, the, the story of Nehemiah, uh, the time frame, is uh, the Israelites, they had been uh, taken captives into a foreign land. The Israelites, they had forgotten about God. They'd worshipped other gods. They were no longer faithful to the one true God. And so God brought judgment upon them. And God allowed them to be taken captive and brought into a foreign land. And around 445 BC, there's a guy by the name of Nehemiah. And he is the cupbearer for uh, the king, King uh, Antarxis. I can never say his name right. Uh, Artaxerxes, our, uh, the king. He's, he's a cupbearer for the king. So this means that his job was anytime the king was going to drink something or eat something, he would eat or drink it first because if there's any poison, it's going to hurt him instead of the king, right? So that was Nehemiah's job. And Nehemiah, he heard the report about what was happening in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the, the, the city uh, of God. The temple of God was in the city of Jerusalem. And, 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 and Nehemiah heard about the destruction in the city. In fact, it got so bad, he weeped over the city because of the state of the city of Jerusalem, the city of the temple of God. 
So Nehemiah, he weeps over the city and says, I've got to do something. And he goes to the king and says, King, can I have your permission? Can I have your permission to go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild what was there? Rebuild the walls and rebuild the city. And the king says, you know what? I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to give you permission to go. And I'm going to send you with resources. And I'm going to send you with people so you can go and complete the mission that God has given to you. And so Nehemiah goes and he takes the people and they begin to, to rebuild the wall and rebuild the city. And in Nehemiah chapter 4, uh, they've already begun to, to rebuild the wall. And there's this opposition that's going to show up. This opposition to what Nehemiah and the Israelites are trying to do uh, in rebuilding the city. Now I want to be clear. Nehemiah chapter 4 is about rebuilding a wall. It's not necessarily about relationships. But I want us to understand that some of these spiritual principles that we read in Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah chapter 4, will apply very specifically to our, 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 our situation with our relationships. We're going to look in Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to find you know, how we can build the walls for our relationships and, and, and what we can gain from what Nehemiah is going to teach us in, in chapter 4. So Nehemiah chapter 4, and before we read, I'm going to ask you just to join me in prayer for a moment. God, just want to thank you for this opportunity to be here today. God, I want to thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. That, God, we're not here to listen to a pastor's opinion on, on how we're supposed to live, but that, God, you would actually speak to us. And, God, I pray that as we open up this, this word today, Nehemiah chapter 4, as we, we look at relationships around us, God, I pray it should help us to build a proper foundation. God, I pray it should help us to understand that relationships can be difficult, but, God, you've called us to fight. You've called us to fight for those relationships that matter most. So God, I pray that you would help us. I pray for every person in here today. I pray for every marriage. I pray for every family. I pray for every young person that we would look and we would take these principles and apply them to our lives around us. God, I pray for your presence to rest on us now. Jesus, we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. So here we go, Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah has sent teams out along the wall to begin the rebuilding process. And here's what happens in verse 1. It says, Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. This guy Sanballat, if you're looking the Greek, his name actually means strength. His translation would mean strength. My translation, though, is Sanballat the jerk. I mean, that's what he is. He's just a big jerk. So Sanballat the jerk, he is, he is a governor of sorts in Samaria. Um, and he's furious. He's furious that Nehemiah and the Jews have come back to Jerusalem are, and are beginning to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Because if, if, if they rebuild the city of Jerusalem and Jerusalem becomes secure and independent, that threatens that threatens Sanballat's hold. He's got this, this hold on the trade in the area. And if, and if the Jews return to the city, then that's going to affect his, his bottom line. That's going to affect his income. And so he is angry because the Jews have come back to rebuild the city. And so what he does is he begins to resort to mockery and sarcasm. And, and he calls his little cronies. He calls his friends over. And, and here's what it says in verse 2. It says, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, these are his, his cronies. He says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah. This guy's name could be translated as idiot. Okay. Idiot, the Ammonite. He was beside him. And he said, yes. 
what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break it down. He will break down their stone wall. We've got Sanballat the jerk. We've got Idiot the Ammonite. And this is a picture of Satan attacking what God is trying to do through Nehemiah. God's called Nehemiah. He's given this commission. He says, I want you to go rebuild these walls. I want you to go rebuild the city. And here comes these guys who are coming to attack what God is trying to do. Listen, this is what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to attack what God wants to bless. And we think about our relationships, and I would believe that God wants to bless our relationships. Listen, Satan wants to attack that. Satan wants to attack our relationships because God wants to bless them. And this is, this is just true in life. This is true in life. We picture Nehemiah. He probably, had, uh, he probably had great aspirations of coming and rebuilding the city and things going smoothly. But then when he gets there, he finds this opposition. How many of us would say this is what it looks like in our relationships? You know, in marriage. Like you enter into marriage with these great aspirations that everything's going to be gravy and perfect. Like girls, like before you get married, you know, girls have this idea. You know, my husband, he's going to be like, like, like a knight in shining armor. Like he's going to be my Messiah. He's going to meet my every need. He's going to be able to read my mind and know what I want before I even say it. And these, this is what a girl thinks about, a mar- about marriage. And a guy, as he approaches marriage, he thinks marriage is great because I'm going to have sex whenever I want. Like this is, this is the way a man and a woman looks at marriage, Right? Ladies, ladies, how's that going for you? Does your husband, can he read your mind? Does he know what you want all the time without you ever saying a word? How's that going for you? Guys, guys, how's that going for you? Like you have this aspiration, you come home for work and you do the little wink and then it'd be like time to go. How's that going for you? Like I'm not trying to be crass. But it's just this idea that we have these aspirations, that things are going to be so wonderful in marriage, and we think this is what it's going to look like, and then it looks a little bit different. I think about the Smiths. I mean, I love, I love being able to be on Facebook, and you see these wonderful pictures that they post of Kyra all over Facebook. It's just beautiful. And you know those pictures, you look at that baby, and you're like, man, so sweet, so pretty. I want one just like it. But you know those pictures, they don't show the sleepless nights. They don't show the crying fits. They don't show the exploding diapers. And, and, and that's just Drew. That I haven't even got to Kyra. That's just Drew, right? I mean, that's just... <laughs> the point is, like, we enter our relationships and we have these lofty goals. Like, things are going to be great. And sometimes, oftentimes, they are great. But our relationships are hardly perfect. They're messy. They're difficult. We may not have Sam Ballot the jerk... And idiot the Ammonite, they, may not, they might not be pestering you and mocking you. Man, we all have these expectations that we have from our relationships that aren't being met. We all, we all have like, like, like this hardship in parenting. We have family members, people that we're supposed to love who just annoy us. Who just annoy us. And sometimes we can't stand being around them. And we have friends that let us down and that disappoint us. And this is the reality of relationships. Relationships are hard and they're messy. And Satan wants nothing more than to come in and create confusion and destroy those relationships. So the thing is, when we're trying to do what God's called us to do and we're trying to cultivate these relationships, but then the opposition shows up and threatens us, what are we supposed to do? What does Nehemiah do when, 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 when the going gets tough? First thing he's going to do, he's going to pray to God. 
verse 4, Nehemiah prays and he says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of builders. And then verses 7 and 8. Sanballat the jerk and idiot the Ammonite. They've gathered some friends and they have plotted against the, the Israelites. They want to create confusion amongst the work going on on the wall. And so in verse 9, it says, and Nehemiah writes and says, and we pray to our God and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. See, when things get messy in our relationships, when things don't go as we anticipated with our family, when, when, there's, when there's expectations that are not met, when there's people that annoy us, what we want to do is we want to kind of stand our ground. Maybe we begin to get angry that they aren't doing what we thought they would do. We become defensive. We think, I'm going to defend my rights. I'm going to defend what I feel like I deserve. Listen, Nehemiah is saying, in the face of that mess, in the face of that difficulty, the first thing that we should do is we should pray to God. Pray and say, God, God, would you work in this relationship right now? God, would you do something? God, would you not do something to them? But God, would you do something to me? See, when we pray to God for our relationships, it acknowledges that we have a need for God. It acknowledges that we need God's strength, that we need God's power. Because when we try and do these relationships in our own strength, when we try and manage our relationships and make our relationships work on our own, it's like running in circles. Like you're moving, but you're not getting anywhere. You're just going in circles again and again and again. When we pray to God you know, for our relationships, man, it helps us to remember that God is at the center of our relationships, not us. That we are seeking God's power in our relationships. That we're seeking God to work on our relationships. That we're seeking God's blessing. Not our own strength, not our own wisdom, not our own knowledge. There's an alarming statistic that 6%, only 6% of Christian couples pray together. Listen, I know those 6% of couples that actually pray together, they have a 99% success rate in marriage. Okay? Now, listen, I'll admit, I'll admit, this is hard. It can be challenging. Like, I've had my own struggle praying with my wife because sometimes it just feels awkward. It kind of feels forced. But listen, there's this idea when we're praying in our relationships, it's keeping God at the center. Whatever that relationship is, in marriage, with your kids, with your family, we've got to keep God at the center of it. And making sure the easiest way to do that is that we pray before God. We pray and ask God, hey, would you work in our midst? So here's, here's my challenge to you this morning. Every one of you in here today, my challenge to you is that you would pray with your spouse, that you would pray with your boyfriend, that you would pray with your girlfriend, that you would pray with your kids, parents or kids, that you would pray with your parents, pray with your siblings. Listen, prepare for it to be awkward. Probably won't feel natural. But listen, it is super important that we get past the awkwardness. It's super important that we get past the, 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 the unnatural feeling of it. And that we make this a priority because it allows us to keep our focus on God. And listen, you men in here today, I'm calling you out specifically. This is your responsibility. This is your responsibility to pray with your family. 
You are to be the spiritual leader. Uh, You're supposed to lead spiritually. You've got to step into this God-given calling that God has placed you in. That you are praying with and for your family and your relationships. We've got to do what we can to keep God at the center of our relationships. Nehemiah says the same thing a little bit later. Nehemiah says in verse 14, he says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He's saying, remember God. Remember that God, he's with you. Seek him, keep him at the center of our work, the center of our relationships, the center of what we're doing. Because when we're seeking after God, when we're remembering him, when we're putting him in the center of our relationships, you know why that's so important? Because we have this tendency. We have this tendency to make our relationship our God. We have this tendency to enter into a relationship and think, man, this person, they're going to satisfy me. So we get married and we think, Mars, my spouse, she's going to satisfy every need I have. We, we have this idea uh, where kids, kids think they're, uh, if I finally have a child, like I'll have like the deepest longing of my soul will be filled because I now have a child. Kids, kids think, man, my parents are going to provide everything I need. And so we have this idea that the the relationships around us will meet our every need. They become our functional God. Okay? But we have to keep God at the center of our relationship, not the other person. So here's here's what I want you to do. I want you to to look at whoever's with you today, whatever relationship you have. Maybe look at your spouse. Maybe look at your child. Maybe look at your parent. If you don't have somebody with you today, I want you to think of that person in your mind. Think of that spouse. Think of that whatever it is. I want you to turn to them and I want you to say, you ain't my God. Do it right now. Tell them, you ain't my God. You ain't my God. Amen? Amen? (laughs) Only God will satisfy you. Your spouse won't satisfy you completely. They can't do it. Don't put the expectation for them to do something that only God can do. Your kids, man, they can't fulfill you. They can't. Drew and Danielle, I am so glad you guys had a baby. Listen, that baby won't satisfy you. It will not fulfill you. Only God can do that. That is true. That's good preaching right there. It is only God who fulfills us. This is why we have to have a proper perspective. We need God at the center of our relationships. It's not sufficient for just God to be around our relationships. We've got to keep God at the center of our relationships. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things that we want, the fulfilling, the, 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 the satisfying, all those things are added to us when we seek first The kingdom of God. That's where it comes from. Not our spouse, not from anyone else. So we've got to keep keep God at the center of our relationships. The second thing that Nehemiah is going to teach us. I love this. Look at verses 4 and 5. Excuse me. And verse 4 and 5, Nehemiah prays. And he's praying and saying, God, would you do this? And verse 6, this is what it says in verse 6. It says, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together at half its height, for the people had a mind to work. See, I love this because Nehemiah and his crew, man, they prayed in verses 4 and 5. They prayed and said, God, would you, would you work in our midst? God, would you do this? And then in verse 6, I love it because they just get to work. 
They just get to work on the task at hand. They built the wall. They got the wall halfway done. It says that they had a mind to work. This means they had a desire to do the work. See, sometimes, sometimes we have this idea that, you know, we'll just, we'll just pray. We'll just pray and wait for God to, to do something. And like, we'll just pray and say, okay, God, would you, would, you, would you work on this wall right now? Would you come build this wall for me? God, I prayed. I'm waiting for you to come and do it. And Nehemiah and the, 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 the Jews, they have this idea that, that yes, we're going to seek after God's hand, but then we're going to go get after it. We're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to get dirty and do the work that is necessary that needs to be done. See, there's, there's kind of two viewpoints that people usually think about when they think about the sovereignty of God. The first viewpoint is that God is sovereign and in control in everything. So I'm going to pray to God, and then I'm just going to stand back and wait for God to do something. So we just stand back, wait, God, love for you to do something. On the other hand, the other viewpoint, sometimes we say, well, you know, God isn't really concerned about the details. God isn't concerned about this right here. So I'm going to go and I'm going to get ahead of God and I'm not going to seek him. And I'm just going to go ahead of him and try and do all the work on my own. See, both those viewpoints are wrong. Nehemiah and the Israelites, they blended this idea of divine involvement with human effort. Is this idea, yes, God is working, but guess who God works through? You and me. God works through us. And so we say, God, we want you to bless our mess. God, we want you to bless our relationships. Listen, are you working in your relationships? Not working to change each other. I mean, not working to to fight for your rights, but are you actively working on you? Are you focused on your responsibilities? About you being the best you that you can be? Are you focused on your own humility? Of saying, man, I just want to love the way that God loved me. Of loving them regardless of what I'm getting in return. See, relationships, for them to work, for them to be blessed, they require work. Requires patience. Requires forgiveness. Requires communicating. Requires communicating our desires and our expectations. We can't be silent in this. And sometimes we just have this idea, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to wait and, and allow things to play out. No, we've got to be actively involved in working in our relationships, of having conversations, of, of loving our spouse. I think about this. I think about when, when you're dating, thinking about marriage, when you're dating, man, you're, you're working after that, 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 that girl, right? Guys, like, you've got that girl, and you want to marry her, and if you're like me, you're married out of your league. So you're, like, working your tail off, trying to, to please her and try to impress her and make her happy, right? And then you get married, and, you know, pretty soon, oh, I don't have to do all those stuff anymore. We're, uh, we already got the rings, right? And I've been so challenged in this, because sometimes it's so easy for me to say, you know, well, we're already married. You know, we're there. And I look and I say, man, I have to continue to work in this relationship, continue to pursue her, continue to love her, continue to make her laugh, continue to make her smile. And she's not smiling right now. I really wish she was. I'd feel a lot better if she was, right? See, good intentions are not enough. There's a difference between, uh, there's a difference between intention and action. We have to be willing to work on our relationships, to, 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 to seek help, to, to pursue making things right, to pursue our own righteousness and making sure that we're doing our, our working on our responsibilities instead of 
focusing on our rights. Finally, the last thing that, that Nehemiah is going to teach us. In verse 10, we'll find that the people become tired. They get exhausted. The work has been hard and they're tired. They've been going after it for a season. Verse 11 says that there was uh, Satan's attacks were coming. And, and, and again, uh, 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 Sanballat, the, the jerk, and idiot, the Ammonite, they're preparing attack. They want to attack the city and, and, and kill and destroy the work of God. And so we know that Satan wants to destroy our relationships. He wants to bring ruin to our relationships. And then in verse 12, to top it all off, other Jews begin to commiserate with the Jews. I mean, this is where we complain to our Christian friends. This is, well, this, is, well, this is the way it plays out. We complain to our Christian friends. Man, my wife, oh man, she does this. Man, my, my husband, oh my gosh, all oh, my kids. And we, we complain to our Christian friends. And oh, everything's so horrible. And, and our Christian friends actually begin to commiserate with us. And say, you know, it's okay for you to feel this way. It's okay for you to think these ways. And, 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 and so here's the Israelites. Man, they're tired. They're tired from the work. It's been a lot of work. They're fearful that they're going to survive. Fearful because they know the attacks are continuing to come. And they've got their friends that say, it's okay for you to quit. It's okay for you to not do what God has called you to do. To not be faithful the places that God has placed you. It's okay for you to quit. And here's Nehemiah's response. Here's the big idea. Verse 13. It says, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall... In open spaces, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their, bow, and their bows. He says, here's what I want you to do. I know you're tired. I know you're scared. I know other people said to go ahead and quit. Here's what I want you to do. Go back to the wall. Go back to the wall. Here's your tools to rebuild the wall. And I'm also going to give you some weapons for the enemy. And here's what he says in verse 14. He says, I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember it is God we need to work in our midst. God has to be at the center. And then he says, and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. He says, fight. He says, fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters. Fight for your families. Fight for your kids. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your parents. Fight for your relationships that matter most. Listen, this is one of the things you want to write down. Here's our big idea for today. If we want God to bless our mess, if we want God to bless our relationships, we have to be willing to fight for the relationships that matter most. Because how many, how many of you can say, man, I felt that point where things seem so overwhelming and I just want to quit. I want to quit on this relationship. I want to quit because it's just so hard. Listen, Nehemiah's word. When you're discouraged, when you're beaten down, when everything seems like it's falling apart, fight, fight, fight for those relationships. Notice he doesn't say fight with your family. He doesn't say fight with your spouse. He doesn't say fight with your siblings. I mean, that's easy. That's easy, right? I mean, if you want to fight with your relationships, all you got to do is find the other person's imperfections, right? You want to fight with the people around you? Just think of their imperfections, okay? Not hard, is it? It's really quite easy. I mean, think about your spouse. Think about kids. Think about your parents. Think about your, your business partner. How long 
would it take you to come up with a list of 10 imperfections? How long is it going to take you to come up with that list? My wife's like, 10? I mean, I'm just warming up. Like, that's, like, I'm just warming up if she's talking about me, right? So listen, here's a little free counseling, okay? Free. I'm not going to charge you anything for it. Listen, if you've got problems in your relationship, you've got that tension, you've got that, that difficulty, nine out of ten times, our problems are this. Well, he does this, and, and she does that, and, and he doesn't do this, and, 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 and you always do that. And, and this becomes the problems that we have in our relationships. Nine out of ten times, our fighting is because pointing out the imperfections of the other person. Okay? So I'm, I'm totally stealing this from Rick Warren. Okay? Forgive me, I'm totally stealing this from him. Here's your free advice. Grow up. That's what Rick Warren says. Grow up. Grow up. Seriously. Stop fighting in your relationships. Stop fighting with your relationships and start fighting for your relationships. So how do I, how do, I do this? How do I fight for my relationships? It starts with you. It starts with you, not the other person. Not, well, she does this and, and he does that and, and she doesn't do this and, and you always do that. No, that's the wrong way to fight. The right way to fight is for you to say, I'm going to start with me. Listen, this isn't popular. This isn't easy, but it is so true, right? And I know, I know, when, when somebody says, you know, Kevin, the problem in the relationship isn't your spouse or isn't, it's you. No, I get defensive. Well, I don't have any problems. At least I don't have as many problems as the other person, right? It's, it's not me. Listen, I know you have problems because I know I do. And I know you're, you know, well, pastors, you know, you're supposed to walk on water, right? You're not supposed to acknowledge that you have problems. Like, you're supposed to walk on water and stuff like that. Listen, I just want to be real with you. I know that there are problems in your life because there's problems in my life. So the question is, you have to decide. Are you going to fight in your relationships? Or are you going to fight for your relationships? I know some of you are sitting there saying, well, uh, yeah, that's fine. But it takes two. It takes two to, to fight. It takes two people to make a problem. And that other person, they might be 95% of the problem. And absolutely, that's okay. But we're going to deal with your 5% right now. We're going to deal with your percent right now. This is how you fight for your relationship. It's this principle where we're going to fight uh, for our, our responsibilities instead of our rights. Well, we're going to deal with our responsibilities. We're going to deal with our humility instead of our rights. So instead of, instead of fighting with you always do this and you never do this and, and this and that, you say, you know what? I haven't been fulfilling and loving the way that God has called me to love. I haven't been forgiving the way that God has called me to forgive. Listen, when you fight for those relationships, it brings you to your knees. Before a holy God. And you pray and you fight like this and you say, God, would you shape me? God, would you change me? God, would you mold me into the person that God you want me to be? God, would you work on me? Would you help me to focus on my responsibilities instead of my rights? Listen, I know it's not fair. I know we're in relationships and sometimes they feel like, man, why do I have to give, 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 give? Listen, I understand it's not fair, but Philippians 2 isn't fair either. Philippians 2 says that, that Jesus 
Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he took the form of a servant. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that way you and I could have salvation. That's not fair. That's not fair. Jesus was God, but he humbled himself because he loved us and said, I'm going to sacrifice my life so that way you and I can have, have salvation in eternity with God in heaven. That's not fair. But that's what he did. That's what he did because he loves us. We say it's not fair in our relationships. Yeah, it wasn't fair for Jesus. Yeah, we want his salvation. We'll gladly receive his salvation. We'll even expect it. This is why Paul wrote in Philippians 2, verse 5. He says, have this mind among you yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We should be humble like Jesus. We should be willing to look at our responsibilities instead of our rights. To say, how can I fulfill what God has called me to do? To love the way that God has called me to love. To forgive, to, to, to do the things I'm supposed to do. We're to be humble like Jesus. Listen, if you want God to bless your mess, you've got to be willing to fight for your relationships, for those relationships that matter most. This is by focusing on our responsibilities instead of focusing on our rights. Listen, I know that there's some in here where relationships are just overwhelming for you. It's just overwhelming. Marriage is hard. Kids are hard. I think about teenagers. I think about kids in here today. You've got siblings. Like, like, how do you interact with your siblings? Like parents. Sometimes parents are hard. Extended families, coworkers. Listen, you've got to fight for those relationships. I love the, I love the picture of Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah, he sends the people back to the wall. He gives them tools to, to work on the wall. But he also gives them weapons for the enemy. and says, do what is necessary. Listen, some of you need to do what is necessary to fight your relationships. I think about, I think about uh, the, the scene from uh, the movie Fireproof, in the movie with Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron, remember, he takes his computer. He struggled with lust. He takes his computer and throws it in the trash can. Listen, people would have looked at him and said, you're an idiot, what are you doing that for? And he's saying, I'm doing whatever is necessary. I'll do what it takes to fight for my relationships. Listen, what is, what is it that you need to do? What is that one thing of doing whatever it takes to fight for your relationships? That might be for you. Maybe you need to break off a relationship. Maybe it's not inappropriate, but maybe it's flirting on the edges. Maybe it's searching on Facebook for people you used to know. I mean, this is one of those things that if you're going to fight for your relationship, you're going to do what's necessary and say, I'm done with this. I'm not going to allow this in my relationship anymore. This is siblings saying, you know what? I'm going to do whatever is necessary for these relationships. That means I'm going to make the first call. I'm going to forgive them even when they haven't sought forgiveness. I'm going to give them grace even when they don't deserve my grace. Even though they've done all these things to me, I'm going to do what is necessary to fight for those relationships. That is teenagers. Look, hey, I get it. You're a teenager. You're supposed to rebel against your parents. Listen, this is where you fight against that. And say, I don't care what other people say I'm supposed to do. I'm going to fight for my parents. I'm going to fight for my siblings because it's what matters most. Because I know there are some in here. I know there are some in this room where years ago, 
Looking back, they didn't do that. They didn't fight for those relationships that mattered most. And now there's brokenness. Now there's hurt. And they look back and say, man, I wish I could go back. I wish I would have fought. I wish I would have fought and done what is necessary for those relationships that matter most. And they would stand before you right now and say, listen, fight. Fight. Fight for those relationships that matter most. Listen, I believe God can and will bless your mess. But you've got to be willing to fight. Can't be willing to give up. Don't take the easy route. Don't take the silent route. You've got to fight for those relationships. Would you pray with me? God, I just want to thank you for who you are. That you are a God of grace. That you are a God of forgiveness. (laughs) That God, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, not because we deserved it, but because you loved us. And that, God, your grace covers every one of us and meets us where we are, even in our worst. And how, God, you've called us to these relationships. You've called us to be in a church family. You've called us to be in in, in these marriages, in these extended families, these places that you've placed us, God. And sometimes it's hard And sometimes it's messy. And sometimes we feel like I'm not getting what I need. I'm not getting what I want. And God, I pray that you would help us to have that ability, that humility, where we can focus on ourselves and focus on our responsibilities instead of our rights. God, I pray that you would help us to fight, not with our relationships. God, there's too much of that going on. God, I pray that you'd help us to fight for our relationships now to do whatever is necessary, that we would have a strong marriage, that we would have strong relationships within our family, that we as a church would have strong relationships, that we would fight for one another in this room, that God, you could do something through us. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts. God, I pray for the men in here today that they would take that challenge to pray in their families, to pray with their kids, to pray with their wives, that they'd make that a priority as awkward as it can be to say, you know what? I want God to be at the center of this thing. God, I pray that you would just continue to draw us into your spirit now as we respond to your word through through worship. God, someone here today that just needs to spend some time before you confessing, saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I've I've been so consumed with my rights. God, help me to see my responsibilities. Help me to step into those roles. God, I pray for some of these young people in here today. Oh God, they'd be willing to humble themselves before you. And say, I'm going to fight for what matters most. God, I pray that you would use this series to, to draw us closer together. God, that we would love the way that you loved. That we'd forgive the way that you'd forgive. God, I pray as we have the opportunity to respond to your word now, for those that need to spend some time in prayer, that they just sit in their seat and just, just, just talk with you, just confess with you. 
God, if there's a conversation that needs to happen with someone in this room, that they say, you know, I need to make this happen right now. God, I pray for those that are in the spot where they can say, man, I can see God working. I can see God's hand. I pray that you help those people just respond through worship to praise you for who you are. God, I pray for those that are struggling. God, I pray that you would give them the strength to fight. Strength to persevere. Strength not to give up. That God, just as you give us strength, that God, you'd help us to rise up. That you'd be the wings on our eagles. That we'd fight for what matters most. God, we love you and praise you. And we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.